Hey, Flow Racing. It is Courtney Anders here with another episode of Right Off Track. I know you missed me last week. I missed you guys, but we were doing so many things moving the world. We're going to talk about that today with our special guests. But uh, I hope you guys got a chance to, instead of watch episode 13 of Right Off Track, that you got a chance to watch the full replay of the press conference that we had at Flow Sports announcing the mega race, the pro superstar shootout. Again, we're going to dive into that um, quite a bit here with our special guests. Today's a special show for me because the man I'm having on this show kind of guided this whole thing that is Courtney Anders these days. And I've watched him work in the industry, promoter, podcast, most enthusiastic drag racing evangelist we've ever seen. You know exactly who I'm talking about with that. We're going to bring Drag Illustrated's Wes Buck on uh, to kind of flip the script a little bit. He's always the one asking the questions and and guiding the show. And I'm going to do my damnedest to do that justice and let Wes be in the hot seat here for a little bit. But um, before we do that, I just wanted to kind of talk about where flow racing is and in drag racing. And when I first came to flow, it was a year ago. I just hit my year with flow racing. And I feel like we had so many big dreams and big goals. And we had so many people that believed in what I believed in and coming together and collaborating might be the theme of the day is collaboration um, to make all of these things happen. And if Courtney a year ago could see where we are as a whole in flow drag racing, I think I would be just absolutely over the moon excited and say, ain't no way. But man, we have done so much. Kicked off last year with the World Series of Pro Mod, all of Victor's races, the FL2K stuff that we've got coming on. We've already hit Duck stuff. We are heavily invested in the PDRA and the NMCA. We've got the Funny Car Chaos. But I think that if you really just stop and think about how far we've come and bringing all of the drag racing goodness to you, the flow racing viewer. I think we got to stop and give ourselves a little kudos. And so it's only ceremonial that we will bring on a guy that will help us to exemplify all of that, that I just talked about here on right off track flow racing's only drag racing podcast. I'm going to bring Wes Buck on here in a minute, but as always guys, you know, this stuff takes people, takes resources. It takes time. And this episode and every episode of Right Off Track is brought to you by Castrol Edge. It is three times stronger against engine breakdown than the leading full synthetic and gives your engine 10 times better high temperature performance than the leading oil. Castrol Edge, maximum oil, better performance. Wes Buck, I'm going to bring him on here. The most thing I was nervous about was doing my ad read, as you call taking care of business with the man who takes care of business. Wes Buck himself, welcome to Right Off Track. Thank you so much for having me, Courtney. It is. It's fun to be on this end of it. I'm like, like giddy like a schoolgirl. So thank you for having me. What's funny, I didn't have this on the agenda to talk about, but I did say in my little intro there that I have been watching you and you are the podcast king when it comes to uh, the drag racing community. Your voice is just absolutely everywhere. And and I think that all of us who do this, there's a lot of podcasters in the game now, but all of us who do this, you were kind of that first one who stuck your neck out and said, we've got to bring um, drag racing to the internet. But what you just told me was incredible. You said, you've got all this energy, you bottle it up. You said, when you know you have a show coming up, you've got to kind of conserve yourself to be able to exert that. Give, give us a little insight. I don't think people realize how hard this crap is. It's a real challenge, to be honest with you. And it's funny because, and I've got some stories about it because the way this whole like Wes's online press, like I can't believe I just mentioned I said my name, but the whole <laughs> the way this whole thing started was with selfie videos. I don't know if you remember that, but it was I like do. 
I started doing these selfie interviews and I would literally just roll up into a random racer's pit or sometimes someone I knew very well, roll into a racer's pit and bust out the old iPhone, flip that thing sideways and start recording. And the, the, the real story that maybe people don't know is, so th there's a little history here. I recorded the first ever Drag Illustrated selfie interview with Keith Haney, well-known pro modified racer at Donald Long's Life Out event in like 2015 or 16. Um, anyways, the first ever one I did at Valdosta, the funny part of that, that was in February, a year prior, I filmed a selfie video at Stima, but was so horrified with how it <laughs> turned out that I deleted it and just forewent the project at, for, for uh, until further notice. I thought, oh my God, these lights, I look terrible, my nose, oh my goodness, I'm stumbling around. And so anyways, and it's funny because that kind of speaks to what you're talking about. This stuff's hard. And to, to, to put yourself out there, it's not hard work. Like I think, you know, my dad would kick me in my ass for saying that this is hard. I mean, a guy who, you know, breaks his back earning a living as a mechanic, but it's like, it's hard to put yourself out there. It's a real vulnerable place to be. And that's the challenge that I still have today, Courtney. I mean, I still today battle mustering up the energy and mustering up the courage to put myself out there because I know the conversation will go here eventually, but I still find myself, it's a constant pinch me moment. Like who cares what I have to say? Why is anyone asking me anything? And it's, uh, yeah, it's still all these years later, it's it's still a challenge. And I, I, you, like watching you work here in this moment, so proud of you and seeing you take it so seriously and really turn this into your craft. It's It's been incredible. You should be very proud of yourself. And this this whole scene has evolved rapidly, as you know, but it it's not easy. So kudos to you and everybody that puts themselves out there like this. Well, thank you for saying that. With that being said, I mean, we may as well talk about the podcast game because it went from like zero to 100 in a second. And I feel like that kind of started in the COVID days when WFO was having these happy hours and Caruso was having people 15, 18, 20 people on and just drinking. But you look at where we're at now and these shows that we have, I think that we have a, a really good balance. And I was kind of concerned with, um, you know, we wanted to do a drag racing podcast because flow is, is new in this space and we needed a voice. But at the same time, I kind of had these imposter syndromes of like, well, we've got the West Buck show, you know, and nowadays we've got Jason Logan, Jason Galvin. I think one of the most underrated podcasts on the internet right now, if they can get some steam behind that incredible side view of it but the shake and bake show like nobody expected that to do what it's doing do you feel that there is a space for all you did do you feel there's a space for all of us to exist yeah i mean wes's rule for life number four is nothing stays <laughs> the same uh and things change i mean because there's a parallel to draw back to when we started drag illustrated whenever uh myself and my two long gone partners uh started Drag Illustrated in October of 2005, I think there was like seven, maybe nine other drag racing magazines, right? I mean, there was, I mean, we launched Drag Illustrated and I had people, I vividly remember my own father telling me that I was wasting my time uh, because there were all these other great magazines. There was National Dragster, Race Pages, Fastest Street Car, Drag Review, Drag Racer, Drag Racing Action. Uh, I mean, there was all these magazines, not to mention 
Competition Plus, Drag Racing Online, drag, you know, all these these digital outlets that were kind of a burgeoning, you know, an up a new up uh, newfound technology, right? So it's similar to that now because it's it's weird how things change. Like I said, rule number four: nothing stays the same. Uh, now I think there's National Dragster, fastest streetcar, and us. That may be it as far as print titles are concerned, and those two are owned by organizations, right? Racing organizations. So we're I think maybe the only independent drag racing magazine that's left in print. Similar situation, whenever JT Hudson, my co-host on the, on the show, and I went live on Facebook seven, eight years ago now, we were the first podcast. We were the first live show in drag racing. And then, you know, fast forward to now, there's a dozen of them. And To be honest, I think there is room. I just, I literally just heard this and I'm going to use it a lot. And I I think we should talk about this because it applies to everything that happens in drag racing. But this, and and I've got to say it like clearly so people understand what I say. This is an and space, not an or space. This is a space where collaboration, the more the merrier. This is not a, a, this is a, this does not need to be, we can all coexist here. There's a lot to go around, right? There's a lot to cover. Every single week on our podcast, we finish our show and I feel horrible about all the awesome things happening in the sport of drag racing that we didn't right. talk about because there's so much freaking ground to cover. So to be honest, as soon as I saw Stevie and Lyle and then yourself get involved with the Shake and Bay, I go, this is good for drag racing. The competitor in me goes, these sons of bitches, you know, <laughs> but but I know that it's good for drag racing. I mean, it absolutely is. And we, I, I honestly think that we need more talking heads. We That's where stick and ball sports crush drag racing is that they've mastered the art of keeping people's attention through the week. It's easy to get their attention on Friday and Saturday and Sunday when we're racing and going 300 miles an hour and doing burnouts. It's pretty easy to get people excited at the track. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's where we drop the ball. And that's kind of what I'm the most passionate about, really, is keeping that drag racing story going through the week. That's that's the challenge, and that's what I task my team with every single day, is how can we keep the conversation going? Like, one of our early taglines at Drag Illustrated was uh, kick-starting the next drag racing conversation. That's in, And that... That really is our function and our focus is keeping the conversation, starting conversations when they're not happening, when conversations need to be had about safety or rules or politics, whatever. We want to be bold enough to start those conversations, but also like determined enough to keep those conversations going over time. So, yeah, I mean, a long answer to a simple question, but the more the merrier, as far as I'm concerned, Courtney, I, I think that we need more people talking about drag racing i do too and we've got so many different personalities you know i feel like people watch the west buck show for certain things to absorb people watch the shake and bake show because it's tuesday night and you grab a cocktail and laugh and cuss and whatnot but it's almost kind of like like a I feel the potential for like a barstool sports situation because you know barstool sports within their one organization has oodles of noodles if i'm gonna dane cook it here of people who have different views on what's going on like jack mac does his own thing and it's just 
one umbrella. I'm not saying we've all got to come together and make an organization, but I think that we can do mashups like these and having you on Shake and Bake and, and like we've talked about the the West Buck show and the right off track kind of correlation. And I think that we could we could really go to bat with something like that with all the personalities. How brash can I be on here? Fairly? This is, as they say in flow okay. racing, this is the internet. <laughs> okay, well, it, it's a lack of balls. Like, I know that a little bit off-color, particularly talking to you, but it's uh, that's that's the thing that I have encountered the most in this space, is there's some really talented writers in this space. There's some really talented folks, but they wouldn't dare sign their name to their opinion. I've had very established, very accomplished drag racing journalists look me straight in my face and tell me, oh, I don't, I don't, my opinion is irrelevant. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. you're, you're not paying attention to the modern media movement. I mean, yes, don't get me wrong. There's absolutely a place and there has to be a place for factual reporting, right? I mean, we, we just lived through a whole era of fake news and I, and we're still amidst an era of fake news, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but it's important what people want to know. People want to take sides. I mean, that's really what it is. People want to take sides. They want to they want to agree or they want to disagree. And you have to be willing to be polarizing. You have to be willing to to pick it. It's just like all these garage racers pick one and ride. And you it's interesting because in mainstream sports media, there are people who have consciously made a decision to be the bad guy. Skip Bayless. I'm not sure how much you follow yep, traditional sports, yes. but like Skip Bayless has spent the last 20 years being known as the guy who hates LeBron. Like LeBron <laughs> could show up at an orphanage and hand out scholarships and gold bullion, and Skip Bayless would be on Twitter, excuse me, X tonight, blasting him for it. Right? Like, how yep. dare he expect these kids to carry these bars of gold around? You know, like they're not as strong as him. He would find a way to spend it negative. Colin Cowherd, another big voice on Fox, he's a guy who is very willing to take an unpopular opinion just because he knows it will move the needle. It'll drive clicks. Like if he's wrong about something, people will love to pile on. And that hasn't arrived in drag racing just yet. Like um, it's getting there. But even some of the outlets that we have really, and I, I have to check myself. Because it is easy to like let the uh, the repercussions of what you say steer you, right? I'm sure you're experiencing that where you now realize that when I say something, tens of thousands of people hear it or see me say it, and I may have to answer for that. Um, I do think people sometimes take stuff like too seriously. I mean, we're just talking shit on the internet, right? Um, right. None of this is that serious. I try to remind folks all the time that like we're not curing cancer out here. We're not you know, landing spaceships on the moon, like we're drag racers. So let's, let's calm down. And we're all due. I think we all are, uh, do a few screw ups or slip ups, right. Things that we say wrong or whatever. Um, but yeah, our industry, there's a lot of people out there that have a voice and have an opinion, but they're afraid to put it out there because of the potential ramifications. Uh, so I, I just hope if anybody takes anything away from this particular conversation, it's like, man, let it Just go. Do it. Let it fly. Just do it and live with the consequences. I mean, I know personally, going back to my selfie story, um, you know, the trick was on that. Never watch them. That's what I started never. doing. I, I never, ever, <laughs> never watched a single episode of the West Buck show. 
Um, I've never, uh, and that's not to like, not that I'm too good for it. I mean, I win, but I just can't. It's to me, it's like the cringiest thing in the world. And I just critique it and it, it will make me crazy. But I had to start back in the selfie video days. I would have to film one and post it immediately. Cause if I even gave myself the option to like, look at it, uh, I would delete it or I would get embarrassed or I would pick it apart or I would st have, I stumbled on something or I cussed or whatever. And I got to the point where I would drop the camera, my hand would be shaking, um, whatever. And I just posted it anyways, you know, it's, and it's uh, so hard yeah. too, because everybody for everything that we say, those of us that, that do get out there and say things, somebody else has got something else to say. And I struggled with some of that leading onto this because before I came to flow, before I had this voice and was representing this organization, you know, I came from representing my sister and kind of having this, people had this tunnel vision about me of who I was, what I was out here doing, what my motives were, what I represented. And as you saw firsthand, we're going to talk about Kingsbridge here. It was really hard for me, imposter syndrome again, to just be like, hey, if you want to create your own space out here and have your own voice that doesn't tack onto that, there's going to be a stretch of shit, for lack of better words, where people are going to say and do. But as you know, you're you're farther onto this journey than I. But even in the year I've been here and kind of made this voice for myself, it's just now getting to the point where people are coming up to me going like, I think it's awesome. Like, you were so right or you were so wrong. Screw you. I don't care. But I know that they're listening. And it's not just with those Erica Enders rose-colored glasses. So I love it. And you've you've motivated all of us. I'm not going to sit here and fluff you for long, but you did motivate all of us. You created a space for it. And I think that you should be proud, too, to watch all of that grow, even if those damn idiots on Tuesday night are getting 5,000 live views. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic, <laughs> man. I mean, it really, and to be honest, uh, we joke about this internally a lot. Like, this is exactly what we wanted to happen because, like, in fairness... Stevie and Lyle, and I'm not excluding you, but they're like famous race car drivers. Absolutely. Like they should have a lot of people watching their podcasts. Like they're uniquely qualified to speak on this stuff. And the three of you have chemistry and, and, and are funny and it's in work well together. So I wish we had more of it. Like I genuinely miss Sean Langdon and, and JR. I do too. Like, um, you know, we need more of this stuff. And I'm telling you, like, there's an example that has been set by you guys that it can be done. But I, I mean, I told you this from day one that it really isn't rock. It's consistency. All you got to do is keep doing it. Like, as long as you keep doing it, you're going to get better over time. All that stuff happens that 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 goes without saying. But it's the decision that we're going to do this every Tuesday or whatever the case may be. We're going to do this. And that is where the magic happens when you just make that decision that we're going to do this no matter what, no matter whether it's convenient, the lighting's good, whatever, blah, 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 blah. We're doing yes, this. Yes. Today and, we're having lighting yeah. issues. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, your lighting's good, but no, it's uh so yeah, I'm thank you. And I am proud of it. I mean, I'm proud of as I get a little older or whatever, and you do start to, you think about those things maybe a little bit more where I love seeing the, it's hard for me to talk about this stuff without, because I don't want to be boisterous. Um, but I am proud of that. Like I'm proud of, we do this and then they all start doing this. Uh, I mean, and it, it really, one of the, I mean, and we've had multiple instances. It happened with just the print magazine. I mean, I remember we started changing the format of our magazine or we, when we rolled out Drag Illustrated, our, the, the, the genesis story of Drag Illustrated is fairly simple. 
It's that there was no publication that existed in drag racing that was focused on the people. They were all focused on the cars. The cars are a huge part of this. And in many ways, the cars and the racing are what bring us together. But it's my personal opinion that it's the people that bring us back for 15, 20, 30 years, lifetimes, right? I've seen all the burnouts and wheel stands and all that I need to see. Like, don't get me wrong, I love it. But like going to Brainerd this weekend, the reason I'm excited to be in Minnesota isn't because I'm going to get to see a comp eliminator car. It's because I'm going to get to see all my homies, all my people. I want to go see the people that I've grown up with and spent years getting to know this is a special community. And we recognized that early on that all of the competitors that existed in at the time, print publishing, laser focused on cars. A tech story about this, how to install a short throw shifter next to an ad for a short throw shifter company. You know, like it was just completely, it lacked soul in my opinion. It was all bought and paid for. And here we roll out putting human beings on the cover of the magazine, treating people like rock stars, doing big photo shoots. I mean, I remember talking to racers uh, early on wanting to do a photo shoot. They thought I meant of their car. Of the car. They were trained to like, they're like, yeah, well, we're, we've got it up on projects now, but let us get it down and put it all together. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no you're going to like run a different wrap next weekend. Anyways, I don't care what your car looks like. I want photos of you. And it was such a people were shocked by it for years. I mean, years and years and years. People were so surprised that we had very minimal interest in taking pictures of their cars or their rigs or whatever, uh, or learning how they set up the four link in their car like that's not those aren't that's what that wasn't what we wanted to do we wanted to celebrate these people and grow the sport of drag racing by building stars and and turning race car drivers into rock stars and superheroes and we've it has been cool to see like national dragster now you can't pick up an issue issue of dragster without seeing a human being looking you looking you in the face Uh, a lot of their content has changed over time uh and seeing like the stuff we've done in the digital space be something that only we did but then become something that everybody in the industry does. So it's, uh, I am very proud of that. And I, I don't, I think there's a long way to go. So that's kind of cool, right? Like, I don't think we've, uh, there's a lot of tricks up our sleeve yet. There are. And, and kind of going on that sense of the Genesis story of Drag Illustrated, like you said something on your show yesterday. I'm, I consume all things drag racing podcasts. I love the Wednesday afternoon, but you said something about, 22-year-old Wes, where it was a photo of Max Naylor, and you said you went to this race. I think it was the Winter Nationals, am I right? And you had to buy a ticket, buy a flight, spend a gazillion dollars on a rental car because you were 22. Broad statement question here. This is the internet. Is 22-year-old Wes Buck just shitting himself at what you've created? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think so. (laughs) I mean, I yeah. to, To be honest... This was always the goal. And I think I would be shortchanging like everybody that has contributed to this, everybody that's cheered me on or patted me on the back or lent a helping hand, uh, my family who have sacrificed a lot. Um, oh, it, this sounds really crazy, but like the goal has always been to, I want it all. Like I want it all. And that, and it's not like a, I don't say that in a like selfish way. It's that I, the way I see it is I want to have my arms around this entire sport. I love this, this sport. Like I love my children. Um, it, it keeps me up at night. It worries me. It excites me. It, it, there are so many things, drag racing is my life and I wouldn't have it any other way. That's important to say. Like some people say that and then are like, 
I wish I could go do this. Yeah. I'm living the dream. Like I, this is what I want to do. No doubt about it. Um, but I am surprised. It's crazy. Uh, I think back, I mean, people, these are funny stories, but like there are people that work at drag illustrated now that 15 years ago, looked me in my face and told me, good luck, kid. Call me in five years. Most businesses will be out. You know, most small businesses fail in that time. And like those people are on our payroll now, you know, and it's, it's just funny how that happens. Um, but that was always the goal. I mean, I, day one, I remember sitting in my dad's repair shop, uh, laying out my plan to launch Drag Illustrated. Um, my goal back then, change the game, leave my mark, have lasting impact and uh, uh, leave the sport of drag racing better than I found it. So well, I, check, I don't want to check, 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 check. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think uh, that was always the goal. And, I, like I said, I don't want to be bashful about it because I want to encourage my kids and anybody yes. else. Like I said, I want to have my arms around this whole thing. I want to have influence. I want to be able to make things happen. I want to know people. I want to be a difference maker. And uh, it's taken 20 years and many, uh, I know we're going to talk about this, many swings of the bat, swings and misses, uh, foul balls and everything in between. But uh, by the grace of God and a whole lot of hard work, uh, we're we're rolling up on 20 years that Drag Illustrated has been in business um, and a, a world of things that have happened over the course of the last uh, two decades. So, yeah, I, I'd say I'm shitting my pants. Yeah. I actually, um, we were in that meeting the other day. We were in the pro board meeting and I had one of those holy crap moments because I'm looking around the room and there's, and because I'm just, a, I'm a drag racing fan too, man. I used to get out of school. We called it the Pennzoil flu to go to the Houston Raceway Park <laughs> Nationals. My mom would say, oh, you're going to have the Pennzoil flu tomorrow. And like, this was what we did. And if we got to go to the Dallas race, remember one time I had a broken arm and I didn't let any of my friends sign it because I wanted the drag racers to sign it. And I have like awesome. Larry Dixon's autograph, like Alan Johnson, Ron Caps, all these people, Antron Brown are sitting in this room waiting for me to say something like first off just to be allowed to breathe the oxygen in that room 10 year old Courtney would be just dying but it really kind of hit me the other day and that's when I I asked you that day to be on my show because I wanted to to talk about this kind of stuff because we talk about drag racing we talk about all these things but we're beating hearts that love this sport that are just out here trying to do whatever we can to make it and it was like when Tony Stewart looked at me and asked me a question, I was like, oh, shit, what is happening that not only are we able to be around these idols that we had when we were kids, but do business with them and have them listen to us and take us seriously. And and we're going to talk about the collaboration of the pro race here in a little bit. But before we get into that, your transition in Drag Illustrated, I don't know if you see it or if it was intentional, but I've been behind the curtain at DI for the last, what? five, eight years now with you. And mm -hmm. I feel like you've really staffed up this year. Like a lot of things have changed. And I don't know if that's because of your role in the World Series of Pro Mod, you wanting to do more stuff like this pro race, the digital space it is, but just talk to us a little bit about the the newer people that you've got on board. You know, we've got Kayla moving around, Mike, and just how you moved the chess pieces to be able to keep doing what you're doing. Well, it takes an army. Like that's one thing that I think that, we're in this age of like the solopreneur, like they're in, in God bless, like the side hustle, the, the hustle and grind I'm over the side hustle. era. Right. Um, and, and I'm all for that, but I do think that it can lead to a belief system that you can do it all yourself, you know, and uh, you can't, 
No. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, I'm sure there is an example that I don't have here in front of me of somebody who's just taken over the world completely. No, I don't think there is, actually. I don't know that there is an example of that because uh, it just takes people and it takes great people. And it, that is something that we here at Drag Illustrated have been super blessed by because one of the things that's like a old cliche is that it's hard to find good help. Well, what's even harder is to keep good help once located. So when you get people on your team that are, that have, that are significant uh, contributors to what are, what's going on, you have to be like as aggressive about keeping them as you are about hiring new people. And that's something that really, it may not outwardly seem it, but that's kind of been the name of the game at Drag Illustrated for really a long time because early on we didn't have a choice right we just did everything ourselves and I mean I remember writing for years and years and years there wasn't a single line of text in Drag Illustrated that I didn't type myself personally and not a caption a byline and over the course of time, I quickly realized like, wow, this is not sustainable. And it was probably uh, one of my, uh, a business mentor of mine, Steve Matusik, the founder of Aeromotive Fuel System, Aeromotive Fuel Systems, uh, which he has since sold. But anyways, I remember one time Steve telling me that I needed to work on my business, not in my business. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is when I was still living in Missouri, but it was this reminder that like, I can't be writing captions. Like I will if I have to. And if there's an opportunity for me to contribute, I love doing that stuff. But I have to, my role is to establish the vision, establish where we're going, put the people in place and the resources in place to get there, right? And and find the people that can help. Like that's my goal or my responsibility from day to day is, you know, I've read this once that, a CEO, as soon as a CEO starts executing, he's no longer doing his job. And it, it's hard for those of us that grow up in racing yes. and grow up in small businesses because we're taught, like, get in, get, get in. after it, get, you know, get your hands dirty. And, and there's obviously, there's an exception, there's always an exception to the rule. But I do think, I've told this story before, but I think it's worth mentioning again because my first job in drag racing was as the general manager of Eddieville Raceway Park a beautiful little crown jewel of the Midwest, an eight-mile drag strip in Southeast Iowa. I was 21 years old when I took the job, 22 years old when we kicked the track open for the first time. And uh, with my man, I was the youngest IHRA track operator in history at the time and way in over my head. Um, <laughs> but but uh, classic case of just trying to do everything myself. And I remember vividly, 4th of July weekend, the kid that was supposed to run the water box, uh, no showed us had never happened right at any given time we'd have 15 20 people on staff on the property and this is in 2005 six and uh, I remember my my boss who owned the racetrack Carl Moyer a really well-known figure in the drag racing space especially for IHRA aficionados anyways I knew Carl was coming and I to the track that day and I thought you know what now's my chance uh, to, to like show him how hard of a worker I am So I made sure that when Carl arrived at the track and walked up past the starting line to the tower, old Wes was out there spraying the water down, right? And I thought, I am a badass. This guy is never going to forget that he hired a new general manager and came up to the track and I was running the water box. And I remember him uh, asking to speak to me not too long after that. 
and which was always kind of a terrifying thing, right? When the boss wants to talk. Uh, and he, I went over and he kind of cornered me and he said, Hey man, uh, great crowd, you know, good job. And he, he was big on compliments. I don't want to shortchange him. Uh, he goes, but Hey man, what, what's the deal with the water box? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I said, that guy no showed. And I just wanted to, you know, got to, got to get it done. Right. Whatever it takes. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whatever it takes for sure. He goes, and I, and I appreciate that. He goes, but listen, Wes, you're the captain of the ship. The captain of the ship doesn't swab the decks. He makes sure the decks get swabbed. And I, I, that hit me. I was going, Oh, and he goes, go find someone in the pits or grant or the grandstands and give him a hundred bucks to run the water box for the day, you know, get the job done, but don't have it detract what you're able to contribute. And I thought, wow. Okay. And it's just those type of things have just one reminder after another reminder after another reminder of we've got us, we've got to staff up. We have to have more people. And uh, right now, Drag Illustrated, we employ 12 people. Um, we've, it's kind of an incredible thing, to be honest. Uh, you mentioned Brett Underwood coming on as our uh, vice president of sales, uh, a, a little over, it's been almost two years now since Brett's been a part of the team. Kayla Zadell came on as our director of digital content, uh, earlier this year. She's been like kind of a part-timer for quite a while, but, uh, took a full-time position recently. So yeah, we're expanding. Uh, and I'm honestly, I'm looking for more help. So if you know anybody, um, you know, I'm always looking for help. I'm looking for people that are open-minded and eager. That's the main thing, you know, eager, eager people is what is most important to me. Well, hell, we got a five-time champ over here. Yeah, Maybe she a needs a job. five-time champion in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are, yeah, and I failed to mention this at the beginning of this podcast. We started this podcast and called it Right Off Track because we do it on Fridays, and I was going to be at the racetrack most of the time. But we are literally right off track at Brainerd this weekend. Um, we talked about it briefly, but I want to get into this. You're you're 12 people strong. You've got the ship just mowing through the water. But a lot of people may not know about a, a little situation that you and I got into right before COVID, and I want to bring that back to light and this is when I was kind of figuring out I had I had you and I are friends and I had voiced to you that I've got to do something. No offense. Five time. I've got to do something for myself here. Like I've decided that I love this. I want to do it. I didn't know what my talent was going to be yet. As ridiculous as that sounds. I I love to write. I like to take photos, but I'm not a photographer. I like to get content, but I'm not a videographer. And we kind of brainstormed and you had a big idea that you brought me in on and uh, we started Kings Ridge Media. And so I wanted to just let people know, I feel like COVID kind of helped kill us, but I also feel like it had to be killed for all the things that are happening. And I want to tell that story of of PRI when you sat me down in that room and, and laid this vision out of we were going to change the content game of drag racing. We did too. I mean, and so the gen the, my belief on that at the time and still remains is that um, with the technology that's available to us, like what we're doing right now, right? Like the tools that exist are so incredible. And I, the, the problem, every business starts with solving a problem. So the pain point that I was identifying or was focused on was that drag racers all had the same story when they came to me. I can't get enough ink. I can't get on TV. I can't get any sponsors because I can't get on TV. I need more visibility. I need more impressions. All these buzzwords and marketing lingo <laughs> getting thrown around. And <clears throat> what they all came back to is like, 
the situation that in, in many ways still exists today is that if you're going to be on broadcast television uh, in dra- as a drag racer, you're going to need to be on No Prep Kings, uh, which is kind of a new development, or you need to be an NHRA professional drag racer, mainly in Top Fuel and Funny Car, let's yep. be honest, um, and you need to either win a lot or wreck a lot. One is really hard to do. One is something you'd rather avoid, right? <laughs> and so you have this, like, your sister's a great example. Like, Erica's gotten a lot of mainstream media attention, not as much as she deserves, but she has gotten a considerable amount. Um, you look at the John Forces, Tony Schumacher's another good example, Ron Caps. I mean, there's those guys have gotten a lot of ink, but what are they? They've won a lot, right? And then, I mean, I saw a highlight of John Force barrel rolling down the track and right. or, uh, uh, Memphis the other day, like they also have a lot of these like iconic crashes that contributed to a lot of that visibility. And what my thought to you at that time was, we need to help these people help themselves. There's tools that exist that you don't need Fox to tell your story. You don't need ESPN to tell your story. You don't need Discovery Channel. If you've got an iPhone and an internet connection, you're set. And so the premise was really... To, to give race teams the content that they need to tell their stories themselves, right? Because almost every one of the teams that we were talking about back then all had social media channels that would get posted on like once every six months, yep. right? They, many of them had a YouTube channel that had like one video on it that their nephew did as a high school project, but nothing else had ever come from it. And so my thought with Kingsridge Media was, let's let's take this let's i we've identified the pain point what's the medicine what's the solution do it for them so yourself Dion walrath blake fontenelle mike carpenter nancy coffin uh, i mean the list goes on all these people get involved and we start i mean in any business like once you've identified the problem and you've created a solution next step is sell sales so i started dialing for dollars right and the plan was put in place to have yourself and a handful of other people going to every drag race under the sun, capturing as much content as we could. And we had two options. We could either provide you all the raw content and you could do with it as you saw fit, or we would take it all the way to the finish line. And we would not only capture the content, but we would create meaningful content from that footage that we captured and we would distribute it for you. I felt like we had a little bit of a hack because not only could we create the content you know, from start to finish, we could also put it in front of eyeballs because we had a built-in audience with Drag Illustrated. So still to this day, the business model, I think across the board works. Um, but what happened is, and I mean, yeah, COVID, there was a bunch of stuff that contributed to it. But the other thing that happens is that we're in a niche market with a really tight-knit community and content creation is so early in its life cycle that you've got guys going, well, hey, Wes, I love what you guys do, but my daughter just bought a GoPro. She just got out of college and I'm, you know, I'm going to have her do this, but mark my words, that will change because they wouldn't hire their son-in-law who just got out of college with a degree in mechanical engineering to be their crew chief, right? They wouldn't give him that shot because crew chiefing is too important, too hard, that will happen and is happening on the content on the content because right now it looks like something that anybody can do and anybody can do it but not everybody can do it well 
right? And so anyways, that's, uh, but I'm proud of that business as well, even though we failed it or, you know, ultimately pulled I, the plug on yeah, it. Yeah, I, don't, it I never was going to really say, failed. I don't think it it's a failed. failure. Yeah. Like, and the reason that I Shut wanted to bring it up too is because, you know, we talk about, I'm going to loop it back to this, this podcasting and us putting ourselves out there and, and having the huevos, I think I, as a female, I may say huevos, um, to do what we're doing. But not every time at bat is going to be exactly what it was. And I feel like people don't talk about that enough. And we learned a lot from what we did at King Ridge. I don't think we did anything wrong. I think we we may have resourced up different or done things. Oh, dude, we created timely. generated hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. in sales, paid salaries. Um, I've got Mine, no bought my house, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got I got no qualms with what was happened, what happened whatsoever. And I had another business mentor of mine. I, I boo-hooed over that for, for a little while. You did, yeah. I'm like, oh, man, you know, I can't believe that went away. That's, uh, I was bummed, you know. But I had a, a business mentor tell me one time, just like, swing again. Like, yeah. And that's the thing is it's like, and that's what we've learned here and what I've really embraced is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to swing the bat. Like, going to hit some, going to miss some, going to whiff some, going to make solid contact sometimes, but I'm going to keep swinging. I had a, a Danny Rowe longtime dear friend of mine, he told me one time, he goes, Wes, you'll spend six months, a year planning, sorting this out. He goes, I I'm swinging the bat. Like, you know, like I'm getting the bare minimum done to just try it. And it's funny, there's this thing, um, it's called the, I think it's called the 4060 rule. It's where uh, once you have between 40 and 60% of all the available information, you're prepared to make make a decision because if you wait until you have a hundred percent of the information, someone else will have already done it. Or like it's a military strategy is what it was. Most in the military, they operate on this. Once we know 60% of all there is to know about like an enemy territory, we're attacking because if we wait till we know a hundred percent, they're going to be attacking us or they're going to move or they're going to ambush us. So once that's kind of what I realized is like, once I get close, like I'm still no expert race, you know, there's a lot, I've got a lot of room to grow. I feel I've got a lot to learn and I try to always be learning and growing. But once I've got a clear vision and I've got like my eye on something, I'm trying it. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to send it. I feel like we also though too, and, and you know, <clears throat> what we wanted to do with Kings Ridge you've taken a lot of that to the drag illustrated side and all these podcasts that you guys are doing. Um, the one with Amanda Busick the other night, that was great. I didn't even know about that until that episode went back, watched um, both of them, but you're taking that stuff and using it for years. And I'm doing the same thing because like I said, at the beginning of this segment, I didn't know, I knew I wanted to do this. I knew I wanted to put things out there to help grow our sport, just like you, but didn't know where I fit in it. And I feel like that's was the King's Ridge purpose in my life was figuring out what I could and couldn't or did and didn't want to do. And if I wouldn't have done all that and we wouldn't have swung there, I call it a solid contact, but if we wouldn't have swung there, I don't think I would have ever even humored this deal with Flo because I felt like I wouldn't have belonged. How much do you think it helped you? Like, I can't help but Look at feel... you asking questions. <clears throat> well, but it's I'm just like, talking with you. You can't discount the experience you had, like, in combat. Like, you spent two years going to every single NHRA race, fighting the battle that modern content creators fight, 
camera batteries, lost HD cards, bad internet, clients pissed off. That logo can't be in the video. It's 200 degrees out. My flight, like, I think that that gives, those are valuable experiences that, like, I didn't go to college. So this is something that I'm big on, is that I've had to go to the school of hard knocks. Um, I've had to lean on life experience as my education. And I always say, like, there's no such thing as a free education. And, like, you're, you know, what you invested in that was backbreaking labor. Like, that was what I always recognized. And it was easy for everybody to, like, pick and nitpick what was going on. But the fact of the matter is like going to 20 some live events a year and running all over creation is brutal. Absolutely brutal. We damn near killed Blake. Blake still hasn't recovered from like 2019. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know that he'll ever be the same. We sent that kid to 20 some, it was a disaster. I mean, it it wasn't a disaster. It was a disaster for him because you, I took a video of a super talented videographer that had literally never been outside of his hometown and said, Hey, I'm going to put you in 20 different cities every weekend. Good luck. You know, and unfortunately he's rash women on the planet. Correct. And uh, (laughs) so, yeah, I mean, but I think about how it, but I do think it worked out and I think that you're better call you're more qualified to do what you do at flow because of that experience. So for that, reason i'm pretty proud of it i love it and that's that's why i want to bring it up because like i said i don't think people need to shy away from this or be afraid of it because it's all it's all gonna come together for all those little chess pieces and the biggest chess piece the biggest chess piece i want to talk about is um uh this pro race we've got to Mm. talk about it we've got about 15 20 minutes left on here i mentioned 22 year old wes and what he would be thinking but was this the world series of pro mod huge success, huge partner in flow. Like I think that, that people don't realize how intertwined that flow racing and drag illustrated are as well. And I wanted to reiterate that is when I came to flow, they, they told me, my boss told me, make a list of like, what are the first five things you would do to help us get our ground, you know, because we were just kind of floating and no shit. I say this with all honesty. I said, we've got to link up with West Buck for many, many reasons. The editorial side, I don't want to, I don't want to compete. I don't want to do that. I, we would have to hire 50 people to put out what you guys put out on a news front, but we partnered up with you in a, in a marketing sense. And we work together on stories. We work together on trading things, things like this, where both of us are going to be able to tell the same story to our same, but a little bit different mixtures of audiences. But after the World Series of Promod, I know that you just want to keep making that bigger, better, and better. But like, was this anything like this ever on your radar of working with the guys of Pro and these Nitro teams and doing what you did with the Promods to this? I I would be lying. I own World Series of Top Fuel.com. I own World Series of Funny Car.com. I own World Series of Nitro.com. I own World Series of Pro Stock.com. I own I own every one of them. So I'd be oh, lying awesome. if I if I told you that it wasn't on my radar. Um, it wasn't on my radar in this particular format. And I'll be honest, when it was first mentioned to me, I shot it down. I shot it down immediately, actually, it w- and with like force. I said, no, nah. because I didn't believe I have spent a lot of my life serving other people's vision. And this isn't airing out dirty laundry, but it's just true. It's been like, all right, I'm going to try to help XYZ person achieve what they want to achieve. 
And I decided in the midst of COVID and all this turmoil going on in my life that if I'm going to, you know, if as a world, we're going to have to deal with these you have one ticket. tough. Yes. Give me 20. Oh, get, there's, well, there's, no, one, this is yeah, you got to get a show. ticket. There's Richard Freeman. He needs a ticket. It's we're recording a podcast for flow, but it's Wes. This Hello, is Wes. This is what happens on What's right up, on track, ladies and gentlemen. Uh yeah, give me 15 yeah. minutes. Okay. Okay. I put a sign on the door and everything. Yeah, doesn't matter. It's okay. He needs a ticket. He does. He just said doesn't matter. I own this. So own anyway, yeah. right off track. There we go. Anyways, uh no, that's fantastic. But uh it, you know, it's it, he's one of them, you know, to be honest. Like I and I I said early on, uh, or when this whole thing was happening, I said I shot it down because I didn't, I wasn't sure what they wanted to accomplish and I wasn't sure how I fit into it. And I kind of asked the question, I said, like, listen, if, if, if I'm doing this and my people are doing this and Drag Illustrated is doing this, then we're doing this. Like, I'm not like, this is going to, it's going to, I want, someone has to be the boss. Someone has to cast the vision and say what we're going to do. And if I'm going to invest my time and energy in it, that person's going to be me. I learned something over the course of like the last four or five years of my life that it's like, if my hands aren't on the wheel and this isn't, then I don't want to do it. And it's not, and I know that sounds like maybe a little like boastful or strong or whatever, but I just kind of made that decision that this stuff's hard. It's, it it takes a ton out of me. And if I'm going to do it, and I'm going to detract from my family and I'm going to take time away from my kids and time away from my wife and every other thing or my own business, my core business, which is Drag Illustrated. Like I've got to be in control because I trust me and, and <laughs> you know, like and I and I believe in the people that I have around me. So anyways, I shot it down initially because I wasn't sure what we wanted to accomplish. Right. There's already a belief system that this is some us versus them thing or whatever. And I did not want to participate in that. And, and it goes back to what we first started. This is a cool little, like going back around like a comic would do, but it, this is an and space, not an or space. And I do not want to participate in anything that is going to make a racer have to choose. Like, I just feel there are too many good things going on in drag racing. Like, and it, it goes well beyond NHRA. I mean, it's PDRA, it's NMCA, NMRA, it's Midwest Drag Racing Series, it's Streetcar Takeover, it's, no, I mean, there's so many fantastic things going on in our sport. I never wanted to position Drag Illustrated or myself as someone who was competing with those folks. So as, as soon as we were, I was able to establish that uh, we're going to do this event at Bradenton Motorsports Park. I mean, I remember the first conversation, like the first serious conversation they asked me, when do you want to do that? When can we do this? And when where? And, where? Can we do this? And, and it was, and I think about the people that were in that room that day, Courtney. And I mean, it's Tony Stewart, Bob Tasca, Steve Torrance, Richard Freeman. Like it's movers and shakers, right? Antron Brown, blah, 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 Chad blah, blah. Head, Alan Johnson. I mean, it's Chad Head, stuff. all these guys, age, it's big. And uh, I remember looking at him, I said, well, we can only do it in Bradenton and we can only do it in February. And they're like, why and i go well because i'm not going to compete with the nhra series i know racers well enough to know that if this race were to be in october or anywhere else on the schedule that kind of happened in season let's call it they're going to choose nhra rightfully right like no i've experienced this like i remember inviting like troy coughlin this is a big moment um 
In 2017, I invited Troy Coughlin to the World Series of Pro Mod in Denver, Colorado, the second weekend of August. And uh, it was a couple of weeks before the U.S. Nationals, right? It was during a, a downtime on the Pro Mod schedule. And, and Troy accepted the invitation. In the weeks leading up to the race, however, he calls me and says, hey, man, I'm not going to make it. And I was pissed, to be honest. I was devastated. Like, I'm still halfway mad at Troy over the deal. But um, not really. But anyways... But he made perfect sense. He said, Wes, I'm leading the NHRA Pro Mod points. These guys are nipping at my heels. We can't risk changing our program in the middle of the season yeah. right to, to go do this crazy thing that you've got going on out on the mountain. We appreciate what you're doing. We want to be a part of it, but we just don't, we just can't make it work. And so I've learned that lesson that competing for an NHRA championship is a big deal. And your sister's a five-time champion. You know that grind. You know what goes into it. You've seen what it takes to be a champion. And I never want to put anybody in a situation to have to do either or. And so that was my belief. If you guys will do this at Bradenton Motorsports Park in a beautiful part of Florida, right, along the Florida Gulf Coast, you know, we're, we're 20 minutes, you know, not even. We're five minutes from a beach. We've got all these beach houses and hotels and restaurants, Disney's down the road. I want destination events. I want people to be excited to go there. Um, so it has to be in Florida and it has to be in February before the season has started and after it's concluded. And as soon as they said yes to those things, I thought, I got them where I want them. We're, we're proceeding. And uh, even up until not that long ago, I would tell you, like, I don't think this deal's happening. Like, I don't think this you deal's happening. You did. And I wasn't going to quote yeah. you, but you did. Right before we stepped into one of those meetings, you said, Still waiting for the wheels to fall off this thing. I am. And I was. And uh, and it's just, and I think that that's what, and I don't mean to like call anybody out, but on Shake and Bake a couple of weeks ago, you guys had Brian Loans on there and Loans said something. And I understand that he's got he's to play the game, right? He works for NHRA or for Fox, whatever. I don't know the nuances, but he, he mentioned something uh, that hasn't sat with me very well. And he said that he didn't see this event as a transformational happening in the sport of drag racing. And I disagree strongly because I know from firsthand experience how hard it is to get racers working together. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you've heard me say this on the show, but what radio station do racers listen to? The, I don't know the track one. <laughs> W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? <laughs> That's right. what radio station racers listen to. Yeah. And it's and and they're not wrong for that. This is a selfish endeavor. You have to be programmed that way to be successful in this sport. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, it speaks to the challenge that is getting this group of people to collaborate. I mean, yep. and what's happening right now at this point in time, meetings that are happening between pro stock racers and team owners and top fuel team owners and funny car. This has never happened. Like this has never, ever happened. And if you don't recognize the significance of that, you've not been paying attention. Like, and you, and you may be paying attention to stats and facts and whatnot. That's great. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is Albert Einstein. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase it here, but he, never waste your time memorizing something that can easily be found in an encyclopedia. That's kind of why like, I don't pay attention to stats and whatnot, because I know I can Google it and figure it out, out in about two seconds, right? Um, but I know people, right? And that's something that I pay close attention to, human beings. 
um, I, I, I pay attention to, to the way people act and the way people behave. And having spent my entire life at the drag strip, uh, my first go around trying to organize a group of racers was in 2001, right? So that's 22 years ago was my first time trying to promote a group of racers and get these guys. And it was a fist fight then. And it's a fist fight now. Way more qualified people than myself have tried to unite this group of people. Like Big Daddy Don Garland tried this in the 70s, tried to get everybody to work together to force change, to, to change the trajectory of the sport. And, and it failed. It fell apart. He, he quit being the president of then, what pro was then, in the middle of their race because he was so exhausted with the situation. It's hard. And what I'm seeing right now are walls coming down. I mean, people on conference calls, people in meetings that prior to this moment in time, Should never communicated. Room. Never, never talked. And you think about how crazy that is. This, the NHRA racer contingent, like, let's not even use the word NHRA, the pro racing contingent, they, they're around each other 22, 24 times a year, right? But you would be blown away how many strangers there are in that community, people that don't know one another. Just a little we're changing that. Yeah, we're changing that. Bob Tasca is having meetings with Greg Anderson, right? Richard Freeman's having meetings with Steve Torrance. Like Alan Johnson's talking to pro stock racers. Like we're, we're creating an, an, a new spirit of collaboration. And that conversation and that communication extends beyond the race teams. We've got media members communicating, talking together, team PRFs communicating, talking together. We got sponsors communicating with teams, communicating with me. How can we better serve their needs? This air, this communication that's happening. And I, listen, I'm the first one. I hate a committee. I hate this committee. I hate committees. Like I'm not a big committee guy, but I will, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done for the greater good. And this committee of people like we get it. This is a group of people that gets it, that's dedicated, committed to the future of drag racing. And not only. Oh, no. Like I went to an Indy car race a couple of weeks ago. Great hospitality, fantastic experience, but the racing itself is garbage compared to drag racing, especially high level professional drag racing. Um, this is the best motorsports has to offer, but it's not going to do it for us. Like the world's not going to deliver superstardom to our racers and sponsors out the wazoo. It's not going to happen. We're going to have to go get them. And that's what I think I'm the most blown away by Courtney. This whole thing that's happening is just the, the same. They're a group buy-in that you just don't see. And if you don't see it, maybe you'll never see it. Or maybe you're, you've got blinders on. I get it. But there is a, there is a newfound spirit of collaboration that yep. exists amongst this group of people that, mark my words, will have lasting impact on the sport of drag racing. We, who knows what's going to happen, right? Nobody does. God does. But this will have lasting impact on the sport of drag racing. There is no doubt in my mind. I think that, that that's something that does need to be said. And and whenever I was, you and I spoke after the Shake and Bake show and trying to to 
there's going to be naysayers and there's going to be things that people don't understand. But I think before we wrap this up, what I want to reiterate of what's going on here from the first meeting, I'm very thankful you guys uh, involved us. And ever since I've been on board, I've felt like I'm just out of my realm at a table I shouldn't be at, but I love it and I'm learning a lot. But the racing is one thing, right? Like on your little flow, flow sports board there behind you, you've got, you know, we've got those cars. We've got the people. We can talk about what's going to happen. We're going to write articles about who wins. We're going to write articles about hole shots and qualifying and people are going to get money. But if that's what you're gauging, what you're saying about this race, and that's the most important thing, you know, alcohol didn't get in. They're not inviting so-and-so or this should be this away. I personally like to reiterate what we're talking about. Like you said, the Barbie effect uh, of the Barbie movie the other day, it's not just the movie. It's everything around it that's making it good. And it starts with that and and the core business of what you just said of everybody coming together and the reason that nothing's ever been done and the reason that things have been so stagnant. We're not talking shit on the NHRA or the Fox program, but things have to evolve. Like we, we're going to full circle again. Things are always changing and the goalposts are always moving. And I feel like even from this collaboration, we haven't even done anything yet. Like we just started talking about where to park the other day. Tickets aren't even on sale yet. We haven't even announced these entries yet. The Fox show and the people at the NHRA and the conversations that I've had with ovals out here saying, hey, you're right. We got to do this and we got to do that. And the domino effect of what's going to happen from this collaboration, I think, is going to be seen for years to come. And that's what we mean when we say this is going to be the coolest drag race. Is it going to have 98 percent hole shots? Are we going to have a clean? We're not talking about on track. On track writes itself because these drivers are top tier. These cars are top tier and our sport is cool. But throw that away and look at how what's happening is being done. And that's what I say to our naysayers. No, I mean, and it's, and I, I think that Barbie, I like using that Barbie movie analogy because it shocks people that I'm saying it, but it's like every, almost every feel good movie uses a story arc called the hero's journey. Uh, you injure, you're introduced to the, your hero. They encounter some trouble in their life, right? They they fight through that trouble. Typically, they meet a mentor that that sends them on the right path. They overcome adversity and they come home a different person. That's the hero's That's, journey, yeah. right? And so, the, every movie is the same. Like most Barbie is th the same old thing, but that movie did a billion dollars at the box office, not because of the movie because of all the shit around it, the girls night out, the let's all wear pink. Let's go get our pictures taken. Let's all wear, it, it, it became that something box. bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. Like we're going to go pose for a photo somewhere. Like, like those, that was what they created. They, they were able to get the lightning in a bottle that is people being excited about more than the movie. It became about the memory, the experience. Like I know girls, like my wife's girlfriends and whatnot, they're all going to this movie and it's like a core memory. They they remember going and playing with Barbies all throughout their life. And now it's this huge deal. We're almost like 40, you know, we're all getting older. We got kids. And, you know, so going to that movie, it, it got you in your feels. It got you in your heartstrings. Right. It, and that's, that's what I think drag racing needs more of is we need more of that storytelling component, more of that gets you in your feels. Like we're focused on the spectacle, Right. 
like the sport, the, fe- the the drag racing is a spectacle, no doubt about it. But what we have to do as a sport is recognize that burnouts and 300 miles per hour and 10,000 horsepower power, that will bring people to the racetrack, but it won't bring them back, right? It, it will be the people. You need to, we as a sport have to introduce people to the characters because they'll come back to see the racing and you may get them back a couple of times, but when you get the people that come back for 10 years in a row or that start going to all the races, what are they? They're the super fans. They've fallen in love with We've Erica. She signed their, they, she signed their daughter's whatever ticket Forehead. and she still carries it. Yeah. I mean, but you, Erica made an emotional connection with that person and that became, that person became a fan for life. One of my favorite things, and I know I'm, I don't want to like, and we'll wrap this up, but how many times have you been, and you maybe not, but like, it's not an uncommon occurrence to be driving down the road and see a Toyota pickup truck or a Nissan car that says, in loving memory of Dale Earnhardt, number three in the back glass. Well, like, if Dale Earnhardt saw his number three on a Nissan or a Ford truck, he would Dude, roll shit. over in his grave, right? <laughs> he was a Chevy guy through and through. But what that tells me is the person driving that Ford truck or that Nissan Frontier or whatever. They don't care that Dale Earnhardt drove a stock car that had a 358 cubic inch small block Chevy with a four speed transmission. They don't even know. They don't know the firing order on a small block Chevy. They don't know anything about the racing. They were in love with Dale Earnhardt, the person, the mustache, the sunglasses, the Wranglers, the attitude, right? It, it had so little to do with the machine, but drag racing for like 60 years has been laser focused on the machines. And they're a big part of what we do, but they are not the star of the show, the men and women that drive these cars, the people that work on them, they are the focal point. And I think that that, if we've done anything over the course of the last 20 years, it's remind people of who the difference makers are, right? Like, cause we can put Erica in a car that lost last weekend and she'll probably be in the final this weekend. Like <laughs> she's a difference maker. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it's true. And she's not the only one. There's tons of them. Sean Lang and J.R. Todd. I mean, there's like some Robert. But Hype it's the boss. Made, but it's that person. Like oh. I, one of my favorite examples, Rolling Stone doesn't put guitars and drum sets on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Oh they put God, the people a- that play them on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And it's I've like. I've never even thought in, in about say, it like that. That's crazy. Sports Illustrated doesn't put like the newest bat on the cover of the magazine they put the people that swing it you know and it's like we've been looking the wrong way for 60 years and if we can do anything and we can have any sort of lasting impact i hope that it's reminding folks of what's important and who's important because your 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 racer's favorite car is probably going to get scratched in the trailer and get repainted right or they're going to get a new sponsor and they're going to have to forego the red that you fell in love with and they're going to have to wrap it. Oh Lord. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like those things happen, you know, and, but when we've put all of our onus and focus on the car or how it looks, and then it changes, the sponsor changes, it gets crashed, it gets replaced. We've lost that. Right. So we need to build people, not machines. I love it. And that's how you, that's how you sold me on the West Buck preacher situation and and just believing in what you said because in our early conversations i've said it with you the stars are not the cars the stars are the vehicle and you and i have just been on the same path 
through all of this because we we agree with that and we do it. And um, I just think it's so cool. I, I could s- sit here and talk to you for five hours. Um, I feel like you and I have a lot of things. Maybe we need our own little segment. Let's start a new one. We need our yeah, own segment. That's fine. Uh, Say when. Yep. Just another thing to do. But I really appreciate you kind of stepping out of your box here and coming on as a guest. And I want the rest of the flow racing audience too, not just these drag racers. We're going to do a lot of collaborative collaborative work and try and do some crossover stuff as we get ready for this race. Maybe send a couple of our drivers to Chili Bowl or Gateway to to introduce the rest of the flow racing audience to it. And I think you're a very important uh, pillar that they need to know in drag racing. So that's why I wanted to have you on here. So I appreciate you taking the time on this Friday to waste a little bit of time with your girl CE. Hey, thank you, Courtney. I appreciate it a lot. And it's uh, I, I say this every week on my own podcast, but flow is changing things in our sport. Uh, perhaps the most important thing in drag racing is successful promoters. I know that sounds a little maybe contradictory or because uh, we're I'm this racer focused guy, but we have to have promoters that are seeing success. We have to have tracks that are seeing success because we're in a kind of a moment here where tracks are closing down. There, many of them are closing down because it makes more sense to sell the real estate than keep it operating as a racetrack. And I think Flow are one of a handful of people in our play in our in our space right now that are trying to change that dynamic, right? Trying to make sure that tracks and promoters are successful. And the fact that they're putting money back into our sport, putting money in the pockets of promoters, is Mike Levy and I have had this conversation. Uh, I believe he's like the global rights guy at, at yep. Flow, and I've developed a, something of a friendship with Mike. But he he used to say this early in our conversations that he wanted to contribute to changing the drag racing economy, and that's what I see happening. I see it being more lucrative for a, a, a promoter to put on a race because you may be able to get a rights deal done with Flow, and you may be able to get more sponsors because now all of a sudden you've got tens or hundreds of thousands of people watching your race instead of just the two or 3,000 that show up at your event. Like they've, they've given you scale that you've never before had access to. And yeah, I'm excited to work with Flow. I think we're just getting started. I we keep are. saying that a lot. Like people call me all the time like, oh man, how stoked are you? Or how I'm like, I'm, I'm excited, but we got a lot more to do. Like we are walking around on fertile soil. I promise you, like there is so many opportunities in our sport. It's not even funny. And that's kind of what gets me up in the morning is like, despite all that's happened, despite everything that's gone on in the sport of drag racing, there's a lot left to do. And that's exciting for me. I agree. And I'm, I'm glad to be doing it here with you. And uh, I really appreciate it again. And uh, I have a feeling you and I are going to be seeing a lot of each other over the next five months as we prepare for this deal. I have a feeling. (laughs) I have a feeling the biggest month of drag racing. Let me leave you with this. I I have realized this recently, February, the, between the first weekend in March and the first, the first weekend of February, there's about a 30 day period there that I believe will be the most exciting 30 day stretch in the history of drag racing kickstarting 2024 with the skag power equipment pro superstar shootout february 8th 9th and 10th 2024 at bradenton motorsports park three shorts short weeks later we return to the house that victor alvarez built for the second go round of the drag illustrated world series of pro mod at bradenton motorsports park that's march uh, 3rd 4th 5th 2024 so i, I really look if we accomplish anything, Courtney, I want to set drag racing on the right course in, in early 2024. I want to get people excited. Right on track. I want to set them right on track. 
And that's how we're going to leave this. Thanks for watching. Sportscast. Thanks, Courtney. Appreciate you. And uh, again, both those races on Flow Racing. Don't forget it. We'll see you next Friday.